Well, it hasn't happened yet. I'm Brian. I'm CJ. This is Isaac. And today we're joined by my friend Blair. Blair, welcome to the pod. Uh, introduce yourself to the, to the two listeners. Uh, yeah. Hi, two listeners. My name is Blair Wilner. I'm a PhD student at the University of Virginia in religious studies uh, and a friend of Isaac's from uh, Duke Divinity School and Charlottesville and yeah, and other places. And before we get into any discussion today, speaking of religious studies, there are a couple of corrections we need to make. <laughs> One is that for some reason, I called Joseph Campbell Peter Campbell a couple times in the last episode. No idea why. I've never even seen Mad Men. Um, the other is that Isaac did just like take my knowledge of religious studies from like my first intro class when I was 18 at face value. And I was wrong. Joseph Campbell did not write The Golden Bow. He wrote Hero with a Thousand Faces. Uh, James Frazier wrote The Golden Bow. So sorry to everyone who uh, comes to this podcast for religious studies news. I was wrong. Every theory and method person in religious studies is, uh, was, I'm sure, very pissed. People, people get up in arms, but uh, I, only one person tweeted at me. Shout out to Elle for correcting me on that. <laughs> if I recall correctly from what Isaac told me, you felt that we left a lot on the table in our discussion about youth ministry. So you wanted to come back and talk about that with us. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's ironic that I am feeling motivated for this since I think I'm now at the like 11 year anniversary of liberating myself from the youth ministry world. But mostly I, I, I was thinking about like the conversation you all had on your, on your podcast when you talked about youth ministry. And like my background actually was predominantly with Young Life, although I also have worked for a couple churches, um, an Anglican church an Episcopal, and an Episcopal church. And one of the things that I thought would, would, would be more interesting to get or interesting to get into with you all is you all were... Well, for lack of a better, uh, better way of saying this, you all were really like shitting on relational ministry. Like, uh, oh, the, the youth pastor, you know, uh, came to my football game. Like, who cares or whatever? And I will say, as someone from the world of young life, I was just thinking, well, that's like the whole ball game right there, right? Like, is how do you build relationships with, with, with uh, young people um, in a way that is not just wholly about how can I convince them to either be a Christian or be a better Christian or always having that sort of ulterior motive. And uh, in Young Life, there's this phrase that they use called the earning the right to be heard. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard of this. But it, for me, like uh, I was thinking, when you, when you all were talking about it, one of the things that, that this former Young Life staff person was thinking was, I agree with you all that like, I think youth ministry in, in particular and working with young people can be like super impactful. But I would be interested in hearing what you all think about the ways that youth ministry has sort of come to be what it is. Thinking especially with like the connections between like youth ministry in churches and youth ministry in sort of the parachurch world. Because in a lot of ways, the parachurch world, and although I will say my knowledge of this world is like at least 10 years dated at this point, but like it seems like the parachurch world is where 
a lot of uh, sort of youth ministry and sort of youth versions of Christianity are are really, you know, at least in the U.S. American context, have like a lot of their sort of strength. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's that was kind of what one of the things that I was thinking about as you all were discussing youth ministry. Point of contention. <laughs> I don't. Well, I, I I wouldn't say I would. Am I, I don't remember anything I say on this podcast from episode to episode. So uh, if I was shitting on relational youth ministry, that that would be not, that would be me. I, I, I was trying to follow. I guess I was just swept up in, with uh, like Isaac, I would assume's uh, passion. The spirit of pod took over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think you're right. Like relational youth ministry is like, that is, that's it. Like, I mean, one of the things for me is always like, kids aren't going to remember like what I teach them half the time. Whether that means I'm a good teacher or not, I don't know. But they are going to remember, you know, like the presence, right? It's so like presence-based ministry. So I, I, I would, I would cop to not being completely honest with that. I do think that there is, and we don't have to get to it right off the bat. I do think there is something predatory about the way <laughs> Young Life does ministry that is not totally genuine and does not, and then churches do this too. But I think that some of that is where my feelings begin to disconnect. I think that there is a sense that like relationships between kids is like having a relationship with kids, having a relationship with an adult in that, in that way is not, I think is a good thing. Like having other adults in their life that can model discipleship or, um, you know, deep kind of, uh, you know, faith and doubt. Like that's good. I think that's great for kids. I think there is some, there's some weird numbers related type stuff that starts to happen, especially with young life that, that makes me a little bit, uh, uncomfortable, but that's, that would be my first kind of opening thought. Uh, CJ and Isaac, I don't know what you have to say. Well, I think it's a fascinating question that you bring up that I didn't think about before we did the last pod, which is like why youth ministry looks the way it does right now. Um, because especially since the category of teenager is like such a, a modern invention, I haven't read any histories of like youth ministry, although I'm sure they exist, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're bringing up good points. I'm excited to get into it. It's just like thinking about the phrase earning the right to be heard as like a part of a seminar on how to sell more cases of like, you know, hand lotion to boomers on a call center. (laughs) But no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think on some level relationships like develop about around and through more than just like, you know, Bible study or discussion. So I, I think on some level, yeah, that's totally it. At the same time, I do think it's creepy for adults to come and eat lunch at a high school with teenagers every day, uh, which is what the young life leaders in my, in my high school did. Yeah, um, yeah. I used to do that too. Mm-hmm. I've done it too. I, my, my move was more to... And we are calling you a creep directly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'll take it. Yeah, it's fine. But I think that... But again, I think that there's, there's two different ways of doing that. Like there's the relate... Okay, this is, we're gonna have to unpack this further. But like, I think that as far as like lunch, like lunch with kids, like I didn't, I didn't go and like sit down at the table, but I would bring kids lunch. Like a lot of times it was based in youth ministry type stuff. Like be like, you know, I would have a rotating thing. I would just text a kid and and their parents and be like, hey, you know, it's your, it's your turn. What do you guys want for lunch? And I bring it there. But like, I would, I would actually take it out of that thing. And I used to go to the high school when I worked in Oregon and I'd play basketball uh, because they needed an adult in the gym uh, so kids could play basketball, and I serve that purpose. And I would just go and play basketball with them. So I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know, Isaac, if that raises to your or CJ, if that raises to your creepy level or not. But like, my, no, I was just 
But it's just so fascinating to hear that you could do that. Like my yes, high school was yes. so locked down because uh, I grew up in the age of school shootings that like people, yeah. like strangers couldn't come in and do that. Well, I, I mean, I was approved by the school. I didn't just show up. Like I, I actually went through the school's volunteer program, but. Yeah, same. And and actually it's it's interesting that you, that you raised that point, CJ, because so like I went to a high school, I'm from Roanoke, Virginia, and I went to a high school that had like, insane truancy problems, including from me, like people, you know, like <laughs> skipping school. And so our like, our like campus, it was a campus style high school was super locked down. I went to, a, it, this was Patrick Henry High School in Roanoke, oh, Virginia. I have several um, family members who went there. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Go, go Patriots. What was I saying? Oh yeah. So I went, uh, my campus that I went to high school on was super locked down. Like, you know, there was like security at like all the, at all the like kind of exit points from the parking lots and things like that. And I think I remember in high school, young life leaders coming onto campus. Um, and I also like, I had a young life leader who was like a volunteer uh, assistant coach on the tennis team. And I think maybe another one who was like a volunteer coach uh, for the cross country team, things like that. And I will say like, it felt it, 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 like one of the reasons why I don't think I wouldn't contest the, the idea that it's creepy is that it felt creepy when I was doing it as a young life leader. It, and now I should say, I, I went I grew up in Virginia, but I went to, uh, or I started college at, at Arizona State University. And so I was a young life leader in Scottsdale, Arizona, first as a volunteer. And then I went on what's called student staff, which is a part-time position for uh, people who are in college. And so I went from like um, a volunteer, like middle school leader with wild, with wildlife as a high school student to being a volunteer leader in a city and state that was like completely foreign to me. And I'll tell you, like not having any relationship to the high school, just being as like a, just being this person who was, oh, I'm a young life leader and trying to get permission to go on campus at the, at Coronado High School in, in South Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah, it, it felt really creepy. And it like, but on the other hand, and, and actually I think this is, this is something I, I'd be interested to hear what you all think about. On the other hand, the, if Young Life's purpose is to reach like, quote unquote, unchurched youth, it in a lot of ways felt like, well, how else would you reach them? Where else would you find them other than predominantly at the high school? Which, and I will say, if like to go back into Young Life's history a bit, like the founder of Young Life, Jim Rayburn, when he was in seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was he had gotten, I think it was like a field ed placement. And this is back in the like uh, maybe like late 30s, early 40s. He had gotten a field ed placement in, in Gainesville, Texas, and so he would like drive nope. out there. Uh, it's it's the middle of no, it's the middle of nowhere. There's a prison. Yeah, that's the whole. Thing. I don't even know. I don't even know where that. Yeah, I don't even know where that is. But sure, he would drive out to to this town, and he had like a field ed placement at a church there. And they're basically the pastor of the church told him like, I don't actually need you to work with the youth in our church. Like they're safe. But what I need you to do is go to the high school and try to figure out a way to get those kids to like care about the church. And I think that's an interesting question. I think it's an interesting question. Like what is the status of like quote unquote unchurched? And I know that's, that's like a super contentious category because this is America. Like a lot of people grow up in and around the church. 
So that even the category, I think, is maybe a, a, a problematic one. But but I do think the question of like what if that's something you care about doing, like what would you what would it look like for a sort of outreach or evangelical ministry to reach out to unchurched high school students or adolescents? I have like a thousand thoughts on this. I mean, I think that the uh, I think evangelical slash like bigger kind of uh, um, non-denominational or bigger denominational type churches are still doing youth ministry in that same way. I think most churches are not. And I think that the time has passed. Well, maybe not, but the time has passed for a lot of youth youth workers where they go to National Youth Workers Convention or something like that and think that all of those kind of ideas apply directly to their context. And so I think there is, at least in the kind of circles that I'm still allowing myself to swim in as far as youth ministry, there is, there's kind of been a little bit of a, of a pivot. And I don't know if it's necessarily a good one or if it's just, you know, self-fulfilling to keep youth, youth ministry a thing, but a thing of like, okay, I'm going to take care of these. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to work with and be with, you know, these eight kids or whatever it is. Um, again, you know, in the progressive side of things, that part of that is kind of a fear of anything evangelism related. Um, they're not afraid of doing uh, relational slash, uh, attractional ministry at all, but they're afraid of calling it um, evangel uh, like evangelism and anything. And so, like, I think that there's a weird thing of like that we've just kind of. I think a lot of churches have realized we're not going to build that youth ministry, so we're just going to turn in and focus on all these kids. But there's even there, there's a weird dynamic of most churches and most like clergy. I think can't articulate why that's a good thing, and so there's always a tension between those two those two things. Like for me, one of the things that I'm really interested in when I'm doing an independent study on this actually is like, like, what does it look like to like reach unchurched kids as opposed to doing it traditionally ways with, with like theology and whatnot, but instead to do it with things that they're already like already connected with and already care about. And so um, like in the twin cities here, you know, it's a pretty progressive bubble. And so we're not going to get kids by having dodgeball tournaments or something like that, which is something I've done in the past. Uh, full disclosure, <laughs> we're not going to get kids um, you know, connected that way. But like, what does it look like to kind of teach them, you know, to bring in a somebody who teaches like, I don't know, like poetry as activism or something like that. And so giving them tools that I feel like could connect to what it means to be like a disciple or what it means to be a follower of, of you know, of Jesus, whatever you want to call it. Like, I see those things are connected, but it's not this like typical youth ministry thing of like, with the goal being that I'm going to then bring these kids into a weekly program every week. So like, instead of thinking of it as programmatic, like maybe thinking of it as like, uh, transformational, like how do we arm kids or kind of help kids, give kids the tools to kind of go out into the world and, and kind of enact the kingdom of God, if you will. So anyway, this is all, this is in my wheelhouse. So I'm going to stop talking or else uh, I'll fill up the whole uh, card, just saying things. No, I think that's, I think those are really interesting points. And I will actually say that like my story of going from, so I was more or less raised in a, an Episcopal church that left the Episcopal church and became part of what was then known as the Anglican Mission, then the Anglican Mission in America, and it's now part of ACNA. And uh, so I was a church kid growing up and I got involved in Young Life because like my church was extremely evangelistic. And so, and, and, and also the clergy and many of the staff in my church were all former Young Life people um, or were largely former Young Life people. And so like, I saw this as like a way to be evangelistic. And that, so like, that's kind of like where Young Life came, became a part of something that I was interested in in high school uh, to like, you know, evangelize my friends or whatever. And then this sort of carried on into college. But as I started volunteering in college and then being on staff with Young Life in college, one of the things that really, that I really felt 
what I felt was lacking was that I was realizing that the gospel made almost no material difference for anyone's lives. And so like I was working in, uh, so if you've ever heard of or been to Scottsdale, it's typically known as being a very affluent place in Arizona, or it's been known for being full of retirees. Both of those things are true. I was working at the like the high school uh, in town on the south side of town, which is basically like, uh, it was a title, I think it was a title one school. And it was the school where like, like the parents of the of the kids that I worked with at, at 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 that high school were the ones who were like building or cleaning the houses of all the other rich people in in the town, and I was was so I I felt very isolated in my role as someone reached like all the other high schools are super affluent, and then my high school is super working class on the or on the poor side, and I uh, was like, wow, actually everything I have to say makes is making like almost no difference in the lives of most of these students. And that was especially true as I started working with some undocumented students uh, as well, this being Arizona, that there were quite a few. And so I I think, uh, Brian, your point about like, what does outreach look like? And how could that be like connected with something that is more meaningful than just sort of the kind of spiritual understanding of, okay, now you can become a Christian. Like, is yeah, I think that's that's really important. I, and CJ and Isaac, I'll let you jump in here in a second. I just, to me, like I'm not willing to give up on youth ministry. I like I will always identify, no matter if I get ordained or not, or what I end up doing. I'll always identify as a youth worker first. Like that's always that's just in my DNA for better or worse. Um, I just bring that energy to the party, uh, but uh, and, and to the pod maybe. Uh, but you know, for me, it's like thinking that it can't ever like switch, right? Or or it can't ever transformer that it shouldn't is the, is the part where churches just get it wrong all the time. And they think about this with formation in general, like formation is just kind of a shit show across all the church. Um, and then we wonder why people have bad theology or why they don't connect or why they don't maintain, you know, their affiliation, whatever. Um, and so for me, like one of the things that I, that I care about with like teenagers is showing them that the, all this shit that you care about, like this is a struggle with my daughter who I think cares about, likes going to church because of the people. I don't think really cares about the theology side of it yet or maybe ever will. And it's like showing them, like like, like sh- showing her at least like, yeah, this stuff that you care about is actually like DNA inside the gospel at the same time. And like, we just, we we don't give kid, like teenagers, especially enough credit to kind of own that shit. And so instead we just let's say like, well, let's, let's give them, you know, Let's, let's make sure they do confirmation, A, before we lose them. And then B, let's every month, let's offer some kind of fun thing where they go and have pizza and 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 um, and play like wacky games and stuff like that. And I think that that's great. And I think that kids actually do want that. But we leave it at that level way too much. Or we kind of push them off a cliff into a level that they're totally not ready for. Because we think we have this panic moment of like, oh, no, we have to like get them ready so they come back after college. And so it's like we're never actually honoring the fact that these teenagers are... are, are or these people who are in adolescence are like also on this kind of spiritual journey. Instead, we kind of just have this like idea in our head that youth ministry has to click these boxes and it's mostly for the parents or for the senior pastor or whoever. So anyway, uh, I, I just like, and this is one of my problems with Young Life, which we can get into later, is I don't think they actually make that better. I think they actually just perpetuate that more and more to keep themselves relevant rather than actually creating disciples out of teenagers. So, Well, I mean, I guess the question would be, is that, really the goal of Young Life, right? I mean, it's like a, it is a parachurch organization, but specifically one that, you know, I think 
has support from like the people who run the National Prayer Breakfast. So I, you know, to me, it's like, what is the political end about like how I guess, Blair, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is in your training as a leader, how do you think the like um structure of young life benefits people who are trying to sort of move these high schoolers into a part of like the modern neocon movement or something like that? Like how does that work? Because to me, I, I think that it's pretty clear the history of youth ministry and the mainline was like, I don't know, to help help people. Like we make jokes about uh, lock-ins being places where people have sexual awakenings or whatever. But like, I think that's half the point, right? I mean, certainly a um, hundred years ago, getting young teens together at church while yeah, was like a, a social activity that people hoped would lead to people getting married. So I, I guess the question is like, if now parachurch ministries like Young Life have more of a political end in mind, how does their, like the different way that they organize themselves kind of facilitate that? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a, that's a great question. I will say that while I, I think that Young Life has largely, it has largely not seen the culture war as its primary objective. Um, that's not to say that it has not participated in it. And actually there's this whole thing that, that, that uh, this whole like hashtag, like young life, do better, do better young life or something like that. Uh, that started last summer that we can talk about if you want about then that hashtag last summer was specifically around LGBTQIA inclusion, um, how young life deals with, with, uh, working class or low income kids. And then, um, and then, uh, uh, racial uh, diversity. But largely though, my experience of Young Life was actually not about so much about so much about like sort of inculcating high school students into uh, into neoconservatism or into think um, like, yeah, like I said, into the like broader culture war. I, I mean, Arizona was a super conservative place and my town that I grew up in and the church that I grew up in were pretty conservative. So that kind of stuff was just around anyway. What what I actually found interesting though with Young Life is that it it had an interesting existence sort of like next to evangelical and conservative churches. I mean, hence like para, you know, like uh and so like there were areas I I where I knew people who were on Young Life staff where like Young Life received like pretty much no kind of official support from churches or there was uh, like the church I grew up in, which actually helped to pay Young Life's budget in town or like they helped to, to support it. But, but largely I think it was more, um, it was more about, and this, and this I think may, may get into what you're, what you're asking Isaac is like, for me, actually what I realized is a lot of Young Life was even, and I don't want to like second guess people's motivations here, but like, for as much as a lot of people told me that they really cared about, that they really cared about like sharing the gospel with kids, I actually think Young Life, like any institution, was really just about kind of the self or like the perpetuation of the institution. And and I and, and when I say that, I don't just mean like keep like the bottom line keeping the business afloat, but like, but also like the perpetuation of a certain culture around it, certain practices. Um, and we could talk about like the five C's of Young Life, which is like its structure. One of those being these, uh, one of the C's being camps or camping, which are these, you know, like 
extremely like um, like sort of bougie like resort like camps. So, like I mean, they're in all over the country, and those kind of things, like the perpetuation of those kind of institutional things, to me seems like the main political kind of edge of Young Life. Now that being said. I did know people like, so for instance, I knew two former Young Life staff people who were like, who had been on staff with Young Life for, for more than 20 years each. Like I knew two people who, who did go and become part of, well, when I was in Arizona, I, I had heard about it as the fellowship. Now the documentaries come out and it's known as the family. So like, there's definitely like cross-pollination going on and there's definitely ties. But I, but I will say like, while, while Young Life was, and is, um, in my opinion, like, like anti-gay, anti-queer, um, and largely aimed at rich kids. I think it's not that different than many other institutions in that it's about self. It's about sort of perpetuating the institution itself. You Does know, that make sense? Yeah, I'll push back against that a little bit because I, I, I think you're right on all of that. But I also think like when one of the things that's frustrating about Young Life you know, as a, if you're a youth leader is that they, they do things very specifically and they do it well. Like they're very flashy and they have good merchandise. They do have the camps that you can send kids to. And youth ministry in general has a problem of like being disconnected from the church. And so my, my pushback and maybe agreement with Isaac there would be like, where do we, where do kids go then to get that when they leave the young life thing? Right. It's not to like a mainline church. It's not to the Episcopal church that might have the quote unquote good politics and theology. Like they're probably going to end up if they're trying to recreate that experience, either as a young life leader or into a, into a non-denominational kind of church where they do have kind of that, the coffee, the good coffee and stuff like that. And so I, I, you know, I, there's probably, I'm probably oversimplifying that, but like that would be the pipeline to me. Like if you're trying to recreate that experience, which is a critique of youth ministry in general. Like we, we give teenagers this very unique experience and then we don't do anything like that for anybody else. And so there's a, there's a cliff that they kind of drop off after that. So that would be maybe not as much of a pushback as just as like, that would be my thought on that, uh, what you were saying, Isaac. Yeah, I, I disagree with you though. And Justin and... Um, I was agreeing with you. How can you disagree with me? <laughs> well, because... First time ever. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that, um, you know, yeah, you're right that like, Young Life is like detached from the church. But I think that that's the whole point. It's not like, oh, they should be like connecting them back into the institution or even the local church. I think that part of the aim of Young Life is to kind of... um, kind of cross the divide between like the public private divide that like the main line has adopted about like what goes on in church is for like church. And then Young Life wants to say, actually do your faith like completely away from that so that, you know, then I think the the next logical step a lot of times for Young Life students when they graduate is to connect into even more conservative college ministries like Crew or InterVarsity or, you know, there there was a there's one at the University of Virginia that maybe it is just called Crew. I can't remember. No, Alpha Chi. It's called Alpha Chi. It's basically set up like a fraternity and a sorority. And part of the requirements, if you want to be a leader in Alpha Chi is that you have to speak in tongues within a year or else God has not chosen you for leadership. And it's in, it's like really, really hardcore anti-LGBT, uh, like, you know. I've, I've had some Alpha Chi students uh, 
Yeah, like some of my students at UVA have been Alpha Chi uh, students. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. Although I will say, Isaac, it just sounds like you're a little bitter that God hasn't chosen you for leadership. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Blair, yeah, Blair, yeah, Blair's welcome on the podcast anytime. Uh, well, no, I, but so I'm just trying to say that I don't think it's about like for them. I don't think the goal is like, oh, let's connect them back to to the local church or some shit. I think it's you know, let's feed this thing that's gonna. Get them grounded in this cultural stuff, so that when, so that by the time they're graduating from college, or by the time they're choosing where to go to college, they're picking Liberty or yeah. whatever that. So, so with Young Life, I would say I'll, I'll disagree with some of what you said. So with Young Life, I actually think that in um, I, I should I should caveat everything I say is like everything I should should be caveated with the fact that like while Young Life definitely has a culture. It is so uh, sort of locally driven in a lot of ways that, like, if you've met one young life leader, you've met one young life leader. Like, like you know that, and that's kind of there's lots of different style. There was lots of different styles and approaches and all that kind of stuff. That being said, uh, the young life that I experienced actually was very intent on feeding people back into churches. That being said. Brian, you were 100% right. It was not going to be mainline or progressive churches. Now, that being said, but that is because those people are not going, going to, to mainline or progressive churches. Yeah. So why would they want to send people to, or why would they want to send their high school students to, to you know, the heretical, like, you know, Episcopal Church USA or to, I don't know, like ELCA, Lutheran churches or something. Um, so yeah, that, that you're totally right on that. But I will, but I would say, Isaac, is that like in Young Life, because of the kind of unchurched edge that it tries to hold, like, I don't think it's going to be, my experience of Young Life was not that it would be feeding people into uh, either conservative Christian colleges or that it would be feeding people into even more conservative parachurch ministries, but that it would be self-perpetuating. So like, you come to you become a Christian through young life in high school. You go to your you know local state university or state college, whatever, and then you become a young life leader and you try to reach out to students or high school either high school students or actually now young life has uh, high, has college aimed uh, ministries as well. It has for maybe fifteen years or so. Um, but but that would be my only my only pushback though is that I don't see it as necessarily. Um, as sort of like the feeder that you are you're talking about, Isaac. And I just think, and then I'm going to throw this to CJ as a person who actually has uh, experience. I think more of the most recent experience with <laughs> with youth ministry as an actual youth person. But anyway, uh, but I, I think that I mean I don't think we're disagreeing either, Isaac. Like for me, like I. I, I just think that if if you're if you're selling an experience and a certain way of experiencing faith, um, you're not going to find that in liturgy as much as you're going to find that in a place that has a praise band and might bring somebody up on stage for a testimony or has a preacher that does their sermon from a bed because they're doing four weeks on you know how to have a holy a holy matrimony or some shit. I don't know. Um, and so so that that was my main point is like I think when you try to fill that need that that's where it's going <laughs> to wrong phrasing. Uh, but when you try to fill like. That's where the, I think that's just where they're going to end up most of the time because they're going to be looking for that because Young Life is intentionally about that, in my opinion. I, I think I said this on the last one. I started out as a Young Life leader. I didn't even know what Young Life was, but I liked playing uh, Ultimate Frisbee and I knew a guy that was a youth pastor and he invited me to come play with these kids. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And so it's like, it does create this kind of relationship that's unique. And I think you can find that in the church. 
but I think it's really hard to find it in the church in a way that is like catered and like put on a platter in front of you uh, for adults. So that, that was my whole point. I just wanted to say that I was right. Uh, CJ, do you have anything that you want to add? <laughs> oh, I mean, I think we've kind of covered that point. Isaac, you're looking like you were about to say something. Did you have a point you wanted to make? No, I just wanted to ask Brian if his thing about a preacher preaching a sermon from a bed was a riff or if that actually happened. No, that actually happened in Tennessee. I think it happened in, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll, I'll get the fact checkers on it. Uh, but I believe there was a pastor who did that in, in Memphis. He was, it was like about holy sex or something like that. I'll, I'll, I'll wow. effort that. I'll effort that while you all continue the conversation. Wow. So I take it, I take back everything I said. The church rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am, I don't know. I'm just like processing but I'm thinking about my, uh, I've, I feel like I've experienced young life leaders in several different contexts. And you're right, like you you meet one and you meet them all. But it, I guess. Uh, I was actually saying the opposite. I was saying if you've met one, you've only met one because oh, there is a lot of variety. Yeah. Is, I mean, there are definitely stereotypes, to be sure. There are definitely stereotypes. Like Camaro Cam. Camaro Cam, yes. Sorry, that is, no, that is fascinating because I, I took it as the complete opposite, obviously, uh, because I feel like I've met young life leaders in three very different areas of the country. Like I, I, I mean, I took a lot of classes with them when I was at UT and then I was a youth pastor in Seattle, which is famously one of the most unchurched cities in the US. Right. Um, and it was really interesting to see the way that Young Life marketed itself in Seattle. I mean, it basically just like allied itself with Mars Hill, which is not great. And, you know, like the the extension from uh, that Judah guy, Justin Bieber's pastor, whatever his church is, they had an extension in Seattle. And they, I mean, Young Life basically just was like, hey, go to the church. Uh, and then also I lived in Roanoke and I don't know. I felt like the theology was the same there, but I also got evangelized at the Barnes and Noble a lot. So maybe I'm bitter. <laughs> I don't have like a, a question. I'm sorry. That was just me processing. Like I, I have not experienced a good young life leader and maybe this is my bitterness. Hey, I'm not here. I will say one thing. Like, I, And I was saying this to my, to my wife this morning when I told her that I was going to be recording with you all today. I said, <laughs> I'm going to try my best to not be cynical about my experience because like if I did that, I would, I, all, the only thing I would be attacking is me. Right. Like my, and by that, I mean like my formation, my way I was uh, sort of raised and how I like part of my story about how I've come to be the sort of left wing socialist Mennonite Christian that I am today. Um, so like, so yeah, I, I, I'm here for any and all attacks, critiques. I just also want to speak as like truthfully as I can about my experience and about, and also like recognizing that, um, uh, I mean, I, I think on a, on a, on most days, I want to say that like we could do away with, with like most of American Christianity and it would be, um, and it would be okay. But I also want to recognize that like there were good and redeemable things and people who cared about me coming from, from the church and from young life. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I actually, i I come into the exact same issue when I am talking about my experience as a missionary It's like, yeah, it was horrible and it fucked me up. And also, um, like there might be some good things in missions. Like I don't, and I don't know how to square that circle. And I, as I was listening, I guess like a, a lot of the questions that we raised about 
you know, like how to do youth ministry and like what the purpose of youth ministry is, I think does kind of come down to like, what's our missional theology? Like, do you, do you think the point of ministry is to be constantly expanding by saving souls, quote unquote, Um, which I think is like, whether the main line wants to say it or not, I think that's actually um, generally what the main line thinks we should be doing in youth ministry. And it's why all of our youth ministry is so bad. That's a good take. Well, I think the question for me that that's difficult to, to answer here is that it just feels like the sort of early 2000s youth ministry culture that I grew up in is like so far gone. Like things are just so different. Like, even just the rise in how like demanding youth athletics is now, I was not that way in in the early 2000s. Like the average family spends 15 grand a year on sports for their children. Um, I mean, that's just, it's crazy. So I I don't know. I mean, to me, it, it seems like we're just in a completely different era. And, and the like you know, what the connective tissue or whatever it is in a lot of ways is is like pretty thin because I, I just think high school is a really different experience now than than it was when I was going or, you know, yeah. Well, just... I, the- Sorry. You just think no, about no. like, well, for one, I want to, I want to acknowledge that I just realized I could have been all three of your youth pastors, uh, youth pastor because of the age gap. So that's awesome. Uh, cause that's when I started back in the early two thousands. Uh, but the, the more importantly, CJ, what you said, I think is really interesting because we are the, the idea of like saving souls only for teenagers. Like there is, there's an anxiety about getting everything done for teenagers before they get a license and disappear. Um, that does not transfer over into how we treat adults when they come into church. That's an anxiety of like, how do we get their checkbook? But whatever. Um, But it is like, there's a really interesting connection there of like, of the expectation that we have on teenagers when they come into the church versus the expectation we have for adults that I think is uh, one of the things that (laughs) ironically is what ends up getting kids not interested, right? It's like, they're not interested in that stuff. And it's, it goes to what you're saying. They're not interested in that level of kind of like, commitment because they they see it for what it is. They don't, they don't, they're not seeing it for the way that we are trying to peddle it. And Isaac, I think it comes to your point right there with sports and everything else. The church has been really terrible at, at acknowledging that people, that the, like, the culture has shifted and kids are suddenly way more swamped with not only that, but like school. Like my kids go like have school for hours and hours and hours a week of, of homework and they're stressed about getting enough stuff to get done to college and everything else. And the church is not, for the most part, a lot is not coming up alongside them on that. They said they're trying to add something on top of it and using, even if they want to say it or not, using guilt as a, as a method to try to keep them in, which is never going to work. It's just never going to work. And, and it's not working. That's why youth ministry is kind of flailing at the moment is because we're not doing that stuff. So anyway, CJ, props on that. That's a, that's a really smart insight that I hadn't, I hadn't, I had not heard it framed that way. So. Oh, thank you. I'm just going off the cuff here. So we'll see. We'll see if it holds up. Well, when I, you know, I read an article a couple of months ago at like the Duke Faith and Leadership website about this program. And I think the Pacific Northwest at a church where, you know, they just, they stopped all the youth ministry and their youth pastor started a small business of like a landscaping crew and hired the teenagers in the church onto the landscaping crew so that like he could teach them how to have a job and be responsible adults. So, you know, I mean, I, I feel like <laughs> it, it's kind of like, okay, 
when all of our expectations around teenagers and development and and children are about like how to prepare them either either for like entrance into the market or like you know whatever sexual reality we hope for them when they're adults or like entering into the academic world like we where exactly in all of that is like faith or religion actually supposed to be, except as a tool for capitalism to kind of reproduce another generation of of self-sufficient adults. So I, I think that that's like... And, and I think the reason why youth ministry isn't as like vital now is because, uh, you know, teenagers have a hell of a lot more options that are going to teach them how to do that stuff than just the church. Like, it, you know, it's another situation where the church is, as an institution... That was meant to do these things, you know, perpetuate the nuclear family, raise up the next generation, at least in the main line of like institutional leaders or whatever. It just it's not the only thing out there that's going to do that. And so when students have options, it turns out that like most of the time the church option is pretty boring. So like they'd rather do AAU or they'd rather do whatever they can use to turn themselves in, into capital that'll help them as adults. And, and the church, oh Jesus, the church should not be in the in the business of creating, you know, adults that plug into the system. Like you just said, like that is not for one, like just like theologically and like philosophically and 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 in any way, it should not be the direction of the church. But two, it's just like it's not even like it's not even like a good ministry yet. Like, like what is that? Like, I, like that ministry kind of like plan or that ministry like uh, logic doesn't even really make sense to me. Like I've seen like cottage businesses and stuff like that and how that does. Then they have things like skate church where we let, but it's like, it's ultimately that is, that's just another form of, in my opinion, of attractional ministry. Whereas like, if you're trying to get teenagers really committed to it, it's like, show them the shit that actually matters. Like show them the stuff in the Bible or in your tradition, um, you know, that's like, hey, like this is the stuff, this is how we interact in the world. Does that connect with you? And, and then let them go from there because like, I, I'm thinking about like Mennonites, right? Or like Melissa Flora books, they're always talking about how like, we don't let cops join our church, whatever it is. Like, I can see that connecting with teenagers in a way where it's like, oh, well, why? Okay, here it is, X, Y, Z. And instead of like, we're just, we're always trying to hide shit behind something else for teenagers and it drives me nuts. Anyway. Um, Alternately, complete opposite energy. Just put a GameCube in your youth room. That's what my youth group did. <laughs> yes. And we're all still best friends. I saw them this past weekend now that we're all vaccinated. Uh, and yeah, speaking as the former president, right? Co-president. Former president. Well, yeah, but you had to be president just because uh, Methodists canonically require a, a youth to be present on their um, SPRC. There so you just had to elect a president every year. And it was like a senior. So the church See? council. CJ, that reminds me of something that you, I think, yeah, like you were talking about your experience in like youth group, it being very student run. And so I, to brush up on like my like knowledge of parachurch ministries for, for like a minute, I was like looking at some things, some articles that I remember reading back in the day when I was working for Young Life that about, about its history and kind of about its place. And actually that was actually one of the things Young Life was moving away from while all of the other sort of youth for Christ and other parachurch ministries aimed at young people were, were, were emphasizing student leadership. Young Life was actually moving away from that and was emphasizing adult volunteer leadership. And as I think about like some of the things that have been influential on my life, like 
the opportunity for having adults who took me and my faith seriously was super, super important for me. Now, that being said, I was always also the kid who was like, always wanted to hang out with the adults. So I may not be the right like test audience for this, but nevertheless, like one of the reasons that, that I took Christianity seriously and probably one of the reasons I continue to like take it seriously against my better judgment today is because there were people in my life who I saw as like authority figures or who I saw as like, for lack of a better way of saying this, like cool people who cared about me taking it seriously and who cared about like what I thought. Um, I mean, I, I will say like, I grew up in a, in a church that was like basically worshiped America. Like I, I told Isaac this a number of times, but like my church is super proud of the fact that it like sent a lot of kids to the military and to service, particularly to the service academies. And whenever like a, a student would be like leaving high school, going to a service academy, like the whole church would pray for them. Like we were sending out a missionary. And I remember thinking when I was a kid, like, why are we doing this? This feels real weird. And I, I was not like left-leaning or liberal or anything back then. Um, but part of the reason that I, that that was the case is because like I was in like a small group and I was like being mentored by the youth pastor in such a way as that like I was told to take Christianity seriously and I was like that was expected of me and so like when I would be reading the Bible and I would be reading the Sermon on the Mount or I'd be reading like about like um, you know sort of admonitions against violence I thought hmm this seems like a weird thing that our church is praying for people to go into the military or that like the pastor won't stop talking about how Muslims are violent and things like that. So, so I think that like the role of like, while I'm actually like, I mean, I, I, I think it's funny. I, I, uh, that like, as I've been listening to your podcast, I think it's funny that like, you know, you have a Methodist and, and uh, two Episcopalians who every week are like hierarchies bad, and uh, and, um, yeah. and I agree with you, hierarchies bad. But I also think that it's not the same thing. I, or I would argue that having adults take like a or play a role in the lives of students, particularly adults who are not their parents, um, I think is super important, and and it is a way of well, it's a way of two things. It's a way of helping people understand that like their sort of faith and their like uh, discipleship is important. And the second thing is that it's a way of actually taking uh, Christianity back from the nuclear family, right? Where you can say that like, actually the, the church should be a more determinative force in your life than your family. And for me, um, someone who was raised by a very devout mother and a uh, sort of secular Jewish father, but but both parents who were extremely conservative, I would not have felt like I could have moved to the left and become more progressive through my Christianity were I not convinced that the church was more determinative for me than my family's like mm. view of me. Now, that being said, I think that doesn't happen all that often because I think most churches don't expect that or ask for that. Um, or, or maybe a better way of saying that is churches don't help to foster that. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say that I, I don't disagree with your point. Um, 
and, and I think I didn't probably make my point very well in the last one, but I, I think a, like a corollary issue to that is that um, at least in Episcopal context, which is what I will speak for, the, it's we are very bad at empowering the laity at all. And so it's not just that I, I think, I mean, I think that we should empower student leadership, but also the Episcopal Church is really bad at having anyone run anything unless it's a priest. Well, and Blair, what you what you described is actually like that's the, that's the youth ministry ideal, right? And that's actually what churches are afraid of. They're afraid of actually giving those keys to the kids uh, to let them kind of unlock that that experience and let them decide for themselves what it is. It's why we why we require you know like faith statements by 15-year-olds during confirmation is because we want to make sure that their their doctrine is correct. And even if they don't believe that, well, we're going to nudge them into that direction so it looks good when they read it or whatever. But I, I think that that's the kind of thing where when you give kids that opportunity to kind of like think theologically, like, you have to let them go where it's going to go. And you can, and, and that's again where like relational youth ministry comes into play, whereas you can kind of sidle up alongside somebody and be like, well, have you considered this? Because I see you thinking that, but what about this? And have that kind of uh, rapport so you can have that conversation uh, with them as well. But I, I, I love that. I love the idea that the church operates as this thing that allowed you to move left because you, you know, you saw it as something bigger. So anyway. Isaac, you look like you're having a thought. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I I would just say that um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know what any of this looks like for like a practical implementation in in the church because again, I I think that youth ministry, like I said, it like the lives of teens and preteens has changed so much, but the church's model for any type of leadership or just even interaction still is still like stuck in the 1990s, if not the 1950s, that I, it just, it's just like oil and water. Like there's just not going to be a different youth ministry until there's an entirely different church. And there's not going to be an entirely different church until like, you know, every single thing about even just meeting is completely rethought. You know, Blair uh, likes to, quote this podcast where this guy was asked like, where's the next Malcolm X? And the guy responds probably in prison, like, where's the next church? Like, I don't know, but it, you know, I, I think to me, part of what we're pushing up against here is that education and church have always been kind of meant to reinforce each other and the creation of a certain kind of person. And right now I think that I don't know, like there's a lot, like the church to me could really do, could have a major impact for teenagers and a relevant thing if it like seriously challenged the educational culture that Mm. kids are experiencing. Because it's it's basically dominating their lives to where there's like no room for anything else. Um, Isaac, this is, Isaac, all you're making me think is that uh, what we need to get is we need to get something that's like a church to do these things that's just kind of, you know, maybe beside the church or, or para-church. I don't know. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. I, 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 to be, actually, to be fair, um, this is probably where if there's a genius in Young Life or a genius in Young Life's founder, Jim Rayburn, like he had some um, some sort of quotes that were like are tossed around a lot and can be sound really cheesy, but actually like there is perhaps something there. Uh, so the, the first one that I always think of is the and actually uh, people contest whether or not he actually said this, but this is a, a quote that's tossed around oh, in the young life apocrypha. world a lot. 
<laughs> yeah, this might be apocryphal. Um, it's from Tobit or something. Um, but it is, the quote is, it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. That's the first one. And then the second one that he's famous for saying is, um, if you want people to come to Sunday school, you should, it shouldn't be on Sunday and don't call it school or something like that. And the second one's obviously whatever. Uh, the first one though, I think is really interesting because honestly, a, a book that was like very formative, although it has its problems, but a book that was extremely formative for me uh, as I was kind of coming out of my sort of conservatism was uh, Stanley Hauerwas's and Will Willimon's Resident Aliens. And that is a point they make, right? Literally call being a Christian an adventure. And that being said, I, I think that the programmatic and I think, Brian, you called this like attractional kind of model of Christianity is deeply problematic in some ways. But on the other hand, like if people don't, think that there's something to be attracted to in the church or to be attracted to about Christianity, then, um, then that's a problem too. Uh, but it shouldn't be, and this would be my critique of young life. Well, actually it'd be my critique of young life in some ways that um, it shouldn't be like a bait and switch, right? It shouldn't be, do you want to go to this like super, super fancy summer camp? Um, and Oh, by the way, this is, 100% about evangelizing, you know, or proselytizing at you. Like, I know, of course, I don't think it should be, it should be a bait and switch, but it also shouldn't be a bait and switch, even if it's housed in the church either, which I think is what a lot of my experience with uh, mainline um, youth groups is, which is that like youth group is something else that is do that, that is existing in the church. And it's not that it has nothing to do with that boring thing that happens on Sunday mornings. Oh, and except uh, surprise, actually, it does have to do with that boring thing that happens Sunday mornings. We're just going to put a nice fancy veneer on it and update the language or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking from my my own Episcopal experience as well, predominantly, but also uh, to a lesser extent, the Mennonite world, but, but Episcopal church for sure. Yeah, I mean, with the, with the church, not necessarily the Episcopal church, because they are probably 10 years behind doing this, but they just, they end up calling it Wednesday night revolution, right? And it's like, you're not fooling anybody. Uh, and everybody gets t-shirts and stuff like that. The Episcopal church decides like what kids really need is an aesthetic candles and like really nice coloring things. Anyway, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. I think that's just weird Anglican Twitter. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know. Anyway. Do you all remember when every youth group would just went by like one word names? Oh yeah. Yeah. Ours oh, yeah. is called Generation. Yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. One of, my, more. one of my friends is called Smile and it stands for like St. Mark's in the lives of every student or something like that. Smiles or something. I can't remember what it is. Shout out to Jake. Wow. Lyman. Yeah. <laughs> well, do we have any concluding thoughts or should we transition to a fight corner? I need to make clear that I actually don't care about hierarchy. One of the reasons I am in the Episcopal Church is because I like apostolic succession and I think that it is nice to have accountability to a bishop. But And that's not just because of uh, I'm trying to get ordained up in this piece. But I do, I actually do like that. So I don't want to... i just clip that one part. <laughs> I, don't, to your bishop. I don't care about hierarchy, yes. but I like apostolic succession. No, I didn't say... No, I, didn't, I said I, I don't want it to be said that okay. I don't care about hierarchy. I'm, I'm just saying that... Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, was, I was... I was. I don't want Blair coming on here and, uh, and, and besmirching my reputation. So anyway, go ahead, CJ. <laughs> okay. Um, Blair, you, you listen... Have, have listened to the pod. You're aware of the fight I, corner. I'm aware of the fight corner, yes. Okay, this <laughs> one... 
is, so I was going to do Tony La Russa, but then I thought Brian wasn't going to be here. And so I didn't really fully prepare for the Tony La Russa slander that I'm going to get into next week. Um, So if you also hate the White Sox manager, just like gird your loins for next week. So this is like not really a fight corner. This is just something I need to process. Um, We're like, I don't, I don't think that we're inside the chilies. even. We're not having apps. We're not getting marks. <laughs> we, we're like standing in the parking lot, just marinating in the bad vibes. Because this weekend, <laughs> I, watched, I watched a horror movie against my better judgment. I watched It Chapter 2. Has anyone seen it? I have. You have? Yeah. Okay, so it features teenagers. So it's like sort of relevant. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to... I would like to welcome director Andre Machete to the fight corner because he made some unfathomable choices in this movie that I have, I'm watching two years late. Anyway, it starts out with an extremely homophobic hate crime, which is also in the book. Stephen King wrote it when he was on Academy. And so I think he's like a little bit excused. Um, It starts out with a homophobic hate crime, but the thing that they do is change the source material to make Bill Hader gay. (laughs) And then, (laughs) so Bill Hader, (laughs) who plays Richie Tozier, is now canon gay, but only in the movie, not in the book. And the person that he's been in love with for basically his entire life, Eddie, uh, dies before he can ever confess that A, he is gay, and B, he's in love with him. The movie just makes a lot of tonal choices that I would like to talk to Andre Machete about. It's, this is not a very good fight corner, but I think we've had a really good discussion, and so I didn't want to like send us on another uh, tangent. I cannot fathom making this movie in 2019. I mean, like, it was crazy. I like, I mean, I cried not even from horror, but just like, because literally the first scene of the movie is watching a gay couple get murdered and so it was like and it was so unexpected so totally strange andre machete we're we're having weird vibes in the chili's parking lot right now well that's what i would like to say at least he he cut the uh child orgy yeah Yeah. the child orgy from the first movie yeah only to add gay homicide in the second i was just gonna say (laughs) well okay so I, i i've also read the book the, ho- the gay homicide is in the book. It's not the first scene. It also could have been easily cut, much like the child orgy <laughs> that is, does canonically happen. Stephen King, answer for your crimes. Eyeball emoji, eyeball emoji, eyeball emoji. Stephen King also has a cameo in this movie, I might add. I have no it takes, sorry. I sorry. haven't. I, I mean, just know about the child orgy scene being cut. I will say it's keeping on with the with the teenager thing is that there there are very few uh, and and you know crimes or not writing and otherwise that Steve uh, Stephen King uh, perpetuates. He he is one of the best people at writing actually writing actual teenagers and the stuff that they uh, that they deal with and and like that yeah the, the start of it too is is kind of it's stupid it all it proves is a way to introduce pennywise into the, which can be done multiple different ways um but yeah he's he is a he does write teenagers more authentically than i think a lot of people do so yeah i mean i think the reason i cared about it so much is cuz it chapter 1 is legitimately like a good movie yeah. and it chapter 2 is like pretty hey. it, like as a movie is pretty bad just in general and it also just starts there's just so many strange tonal choices 
Anyway, I loved it. Chapter one, watch that. Don't watch it. Chapter two, <laughs> baby Finn Wolfhard is like, he's out here doing the work. He's playing gay for us. We'll set up, we'll set up a, a, a inflatable screen out in the Chili's parking lot and, and we can screen the it, it part chapter one. So there you go. Uh, can I do a throwback to, um, since we're on the topic of weird choices in movies, someone told me last week that in the dark Archie show, that Archie gets mauled by a bear. Yes. He does! Yes. Oh my God. Blair, have you watched Wait. Riverdale? I feel like okay, we talked... It's a, it's a cinematic masterpiece. You should watch it. Didn't we talk, we yes. talked about this? Or maybe it was when Isaac was gone. Yeah. No, that was the episode where I had a work thing and I had to step off. But oh. um, yes, Archie does get mauled by a bear in season three. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> he survives. But is he scarred for life? He is scarred for life. And they bring it up later where he's like, yeah, I fought a bear. <laughs> Callbacks, are, callbacks are important. I will, I will also add that he fought the bear after escaping from prison where he was sent after he was framed for murder by his girlfriend's father. Yeah, doesn't Betty Cooper's dad becomes like a serial killer and, and Archie starts like a vigilante militia to like hunt him down and kill him? Archie has started not one, but two vigilante-style militias, yes. The second was called Patriot's Prayer. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to bring up Riverdale, but I was just like... No, anytime you want to bring up Riverdale, let's get into it. I, okay, so after I finish my comprehensive exams, I will watch Riverdale, but I cannot get sucked into it. I'm currently reading like a book a day, so like I cannot get sucked into a television show at the moment. But Oh my goodness, Godspeed. And I will say this, like if nothing else, just watch the first season because it's legitimately a good season of television. But yeah. if you get bored at any point after that, you can jettison it. Yeah. Can I, I would like to say, and I said I was going to bring this up later, but this actually might be like a good tack on to the fight corner, which is to say... Uh, I went on to put Young Life in the fight corner. So there was this like whole campaign last summer. Yeah. I wasn't really a part of it because I'm not really in this world anymore. But there was this whole campaign last summer called uh, Young Life Do Better that, as I said earlier, was about LGBTQIA inclusion and about um, sort of r- racial diversity on the staff and about low-income students and having to pay for camp and things like that. And Young Life's response was they set up a website on, like or like a kind of a a subdomain off of their main website, which has a very creepy video. I'll, I'll actually put the put the link to it in the chat that has like weird music that plays and then text just appears in the video. But the language that they used in their response, I said they apparently haven't had any kind of like official response in the like year or so, or maybe a little less than a year or so since, since the campaign. But one of the texts in the video reads... Um, While we are confident with continued studied prayer and reflection that our theology is faithful to God's vision for human sexuality and other aspects of the human experience, these stories highlight the need for intensive examination of how we live out our faith and beliefs. So all that is to say, so Young Life has like not actually responded to these things. And I would say I am about as confident in Young Life's theology of human sexuality as I am in like, you know, their stance on, I don't even know, like Palestine or something like, like they, they aren't going to do anything. And actually like everyone who is saying young life do better should just like go and start something better because 
This is a group that is fundamentally not going to change. They're extremely they're extremely conservative in their theology. They kicked out they kicked out uh, the former area director of Durham Young Life basically for being a Bartian, um, which. <laughs> Which is wow. something that, like most young lifers, don't even know what that, who, or what that is. Uh, so, anyway, We're getting into like early church level splits. <laughs> yeah. So basically, what I'm saying is, young life. I'm. I've said nice things about you up to this point, but you're called out and stop being. Uh, yeah. Stop being so anti queer and uh, anti poor kids. Yeah. Hell yeah! You can actually meet us in the Chili's parking lot, young life. We will actually be fighting. And also. People just start something else. Like there's a recent campaign to try to get Lee University, which is just like college young life to be not anti-queer. And it's like love to everybody fighting that battle, but just pick a different one because Lee cannot exist except it was founded on homophobia. (laughs) There is no other foundation. (laughs) Yeah, well, we need speaking, we just need to get off my corner here because this has been part of my my, uh, plan is to start a a, uh, a young life for... Uh, not basically the opposite, exact opposite of Young Life, but operate in the same way. So, so let's just all calm down. Nobody else needs to start this. I got it. Well, copyright, copyright, Brian, yes. Brian Bliss. I, I, I anticipate a Patreon account uh, any day now, Brian. There it is. Yeah, I'm gonna start. I'm a different podcast too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the way. That's where you make money, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, Blair. Is there anything you want to plug? No, not really. Yeah, please don't follow me on Twitter. I never tweet. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, I'll take all my responses off the air. Thanks. Well, all takes I think have been revealed this episode. Bye.